Good morning, everyone. So please open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4, verse 12. So uh, I'll be reading from the NIV. Suffering for being a Christian. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you, are part- that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Amen. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting at verse 35, we're introduced to Simon Peter, a fisherman who gets the great news from his brother Andrew that they found the Messiah. As one of his disciples, Andrew overheard John the Baptist proclaim, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, in referring to Jesus Christ. Upon hearing this astonishing and incredible news, Simon Peter is then led by his brother to go see the Messiah. Upon seeing him, the first thing Jesus says to Simon Peter in verse 42 is, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. That's in Aramaic. That's in the Aramaic language, or when translated in Greek, is the name Peter, meaning rock, as in something or someone who is solid, who stands firm. Furthermore, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, it says, When Jesus came to the region, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell 
will not conquer it. And in the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, Peter is commissioned by Jesus to shepherd his flock. In this instance, Peter is being asked by Jesus the same question three times in this particular order. The first time Jesus asked him, do you truly love me more than these? In verse 15, the second time Jesus asked, do you truly love me? In verse 16, and the third, do you love me? In verse 17, and in response, Peter answers three times with a broken heart. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, a second time. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And on the third time, with sadness in his heart, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. To which Jesus tells Peter, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. In other words, Peter has been commissioned and entrusted by Jesus to look after, to shepherd, to guide, and to guard his sheep. To look after his flock, meaning his disciples, his people, his beloved church. So when we come to the text in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19, we're looking at the words of someone who's been personally entrusted by Jesus to encourage, to look after, to bring guidance to God's chosen people, the flock of believers in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Dear God, please accept our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, as we allow you to shape us in the likeness of Jesus Christ so that you may be glorified on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. In today's passage found in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19, its offer, Peter, is an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle means one who is sent as in a missionary. In this case, the apostle Peter sends out a letter that is being addressed to God's elect. As we've seen early in our series, in chapter 1, God's elect, or chosen people, were living as foreigners throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia of Asia Minor, which corresponds today to the country of Turkey. And they're considered foreigners either because they actually came from foreign lands or because they know that their true home is not here on earth, but it's with their Father in heaven. So to this audience, the Apostle Peter continues his letter in chapter 4, verse 12, as he writes, Dear friends, 
or beloved or loved ones in some translations. Regardless of where they come from, even if he may have never met them in person or know their names individually, they are still brothers and sisters in the faith. Through their common unity in Christ as they all serve the same Almighty God. And for that, they are called beloved, loved ones, dear friends. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you. The word fiery is usually associated with anger or wrath. It is synonymous with the words burning or blazing, like in the imagery of the fiery lava of burning sulfur found in the book of Revelation. Unfortunately, at the time of this letter, this fiery ordeal was not just an imagery, but it was an actual time of suffering and persecution that took place against Christians as it was led by the Roman Emperor Nero, who was in power from the year 54 to 68 A.D., In the book by Bart D. Herman titled The New Testament, A Historical Introduction to the Early Christian Writings, while reporting the first official incident of Christian persecution as provoked by the Emperor Nero, the author writes, When Nero's enemies blamed them for the fire that leveled the good portion of the city, a blame that he evidently deserved, he decided to use the Christians in Rome as the scapegoats. According to the Roman historian Tacitus, Nero made a public display of Christians, having summoned them clothed in animal skins to be eaten by ravenous dogs and others rolled in pitch and set aflame to light his public gardens. Tacitus suggests that Nero could treat the Christians this way when impunity because of their general loathing for them. So as Christians were widely misunderstood by their former friends and by the pagan communities which surrounded them, because they didn't take part with their social activities, Christians at the time were flooded with false rumors about their practices, accusing them of being antisocial as a closed society, and sacrilegious because they didn't worship the Roman gods or the state gods that they had at the time. So when Peter writes, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you, he was talking about an actual occurrence that was beginning to take place in the lives of Christians. Still in verse 12, to test you as though something strange was happening to you. To test you. There's an actual function or purpose behind this ordeal, as painful and as excruciating as it may be. The intended goal of the fiery ordeal, according to Peter, it is not to aggravate. It is not to bring despair or anger, even though those emotions might come. It was not to make someone turn their backs on God 
or on God's people. Instead, the offer writes that its purpose is to test you. Okay. Its purpose is to test you. As the Oxford Dictionary puts it, a test is an event or a situation that reveals the strength or quality of something or someone by putting them under strain. Or as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, in all of this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though we find by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. To continue in our passage, as though something strange was happening, as though something that is abnormal or something that is unexpected. Peter is trying to explain to his intended audience that there is a place for testing for unforeseen events in their lives. It is not to be unexpected or surprising when strange things are happening, when things come without warning or don't go as planned or don't seem or seem to be out of place when in fact it might coincide with the work that God is trying to do in their lives. And that is why instead of being surprised. Peter encourages his readers in verse 13 to instead rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. The word suffer, or one of his derivatives, actually appears 20 times in 1 Peter, which is more than in any other book in the New Testament. There is significance behind the suffering. As someone who's been a direct witness to the life and sacrifice of Jesus, Peter knows firsthand that they've all been redeemed from an empty way of life because of the precious blood of Jesus on the cross. Peter is always aware that the precious blood of Jesus is now made known to God's elect because Jesus suffered and endured at the hands of men for the sake of men and women alike. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. It is not just to rejoice, but even more so to be overjoyed or surpassing joy as Peter explains in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. In verse 8 it says, Though we have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
As we've seen earlier, there is an outcome behind the suffering. In the same way that there is an outcome behind these trying times. Throughout the Bible, whenever God's saving power, miracles, signs, and wonders are displayed, God's glory is revealed. And ultimately, His glory will be revealed in its fullness through the salvation made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial Lamb of God. Let's also remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas in the olive grove, what was the first thing Peter tried to do against those who wanted to take Jesus away? In John 18, verse 10, it says, in John 18, verse 10, it is written, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Since even before the cross, Jesus foreknew that he had to drink the cup of suffering so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter shares with God's elect what Jesus already knew in that the glory of God is already present. Yet it's the revelation of the glory that will be made known at the right time as part of God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Jesus himself told his disciples in John 15, verses 18 to 20, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it, will, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. To further explain the affliction that Jesus went through, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23, Peter illustrates that when they hurled their insults at him, referring to Jesus, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges rightly. Time and time again, Jesus has set an example of conduct for his disciples to follow in order to be ready for a time when they too may be faced with extreme adversity. We could imagine P Peter remembering when Jesus was on the mountainside 
And he told his disciples in Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Peter is, Peter is echoing what he heard from Jesus. Everything is coming full circle. The teachings of Jesus begin to have their full meaning, especially during trying times. In verse 15, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Because at the time, it was not illegal to be a Christian. Instead, Christians were actually being accused for being socially disruptive. And as we could see through the book of Acts, their actions were being punished by the public officials. Earlier I spoke about the accusations by the Roman Emperor Nero, who blamed the Christians for starting a fire that destroyed a huge part of the city. We can imagine the outburst it would be if the inferno on the scale of what took place in Fort McMurray was actually blamed on Christians at the time and the hatred that it would provoke. So with this accusation by the emperor, Christians were being accused of arson, which was an actual crime, even though they were innocent of those charges. Again at the Olive Grove, Jesus prevented Peter from being a murderer, or even as a meddler, someone who meddles with something, someone who interferes without right, or to be interested in what is not their concern. As even Peter himself was once rebuked by Jesus in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23, always in line with the theme of suffering. Starting at verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Satan was meddling in the concerns of God, not realizing that the suffering that was to come was a means to an end. His end. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The dominion of sin, 
the sting and stronghold of death, it is finished. It is now crucified since Christ is now glorified. Peter is reaffirming the redemptive identity that only comes from the name of Jesus Christ, the offer and perfecter of their faith. In verse 16, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. However, if you suffer as a Christian, as opposed to suffering as a criminal, Peter is trying to make a distinction so that the believers in Christ would not be ashamed to bear that name. Of being ashamed is something that Peter knew firsthand when he disowned Jesus three times as seen in the Gospel of Matthew 26, verse 25, uh, sorry, verse 75. At verse 75 of Matthew 26, it says, Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Yet later in life, in the book of Acts chapter 5, that same Peter stood in front of the Sanhedrin, which is the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and he spoke boldly about Jesus Christ. Later on, in the company of the other apostles, they were also imprisoned and severely flogged with the whip before they were released. Yet in verse 41 of Acts chapter 5, it said, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of the suffering disgrace for the name. Suffering disgrace for the name. And as Jesus himself declared in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of God will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The word glory is again highlighted as a reminder of the indescribable splendor of God that is yet to be fully revealed. And likewise, our knowledge of the kingdom of God reflects but a mere fraction of how glorious the kingdom actually is. Even the most imaginative visualization of the kingdom of heaven only pales in comparison to its actual splendor. Because God's glory is indescribable. It cannot be grasped by mere human intellect in the same manner that the greatest minds of this world cannot fully describe what the future holds, let alone what will happen tomorrow. And for that reason, God deserves all the praise because His ways are not our ways. His timeline is not our timeline. Where even science 
is exponentially slow in discovering the wonderful and illustrious works that God has already created. We're only playing catch-up in discovering the glorious works that God throughout the world has already created, throughout the world and beyond. And as big as beyond is, God is even greater than all of his own creations. From the moment he said, let there be, let there be. Therefore, it is an honor not to be taken lightly. It is a privilege not to be ashamed of because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As Christians, they now have the privilege to bear that name. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Because in times of persecution, the bond within the community of believers only got stronger through adversity that they would face together. And in these testing times, it would also prepare them to always give an answer to anyone who would ask them to give a reason for the hope that they have, as Peter had instructed them in his letter. And when Peter talks about the judgment, it is not to bring about fear, but he's giving his audience a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement, which comes in line with what King David once wrote in Psalm 7, verse 7 to 10, when he said, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and he judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Amen. Verse 18. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Which is quoted from the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 31, which writes, If the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? We saw earlier that the end result of our faith is the salvation of our souls. In other words, for the righteous to be saved. As in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As salvation involves an inward belief from the heart and an outward confession from the mouth. But the righteous 
or being saved from what exactly? From the wrath of God's judgment. Salvation is an act of faith, which is followed by an act of obedience. It's an ongoing process. In Matthew 24, verse 9 to 13, it's written in God's word, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At the time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Again, the encouragement is that God is aware of the suffering. He is not blind to their affliction. And more importantly, Peter specifies that God is a faithful creator, steadfast in affection and firm to his promises. Even more so, not only is God good and faithful, but God's elect must persevere and continue to do good and not lose hope. Even in our day and age, many Christians or brothers and sisters in the faith are being persecuted in different countries, in different ways, whether physically, mentally, or emotionally. I could spend the whole entire message just to talk about the persecution of fellow Christians and friends of mine that I personally know in Sudan or in Egypt to give examples. So please keep your brothers and sisters who are being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ in your prayers. Yet in all of these trials happening throughout the world, as inimaginable, perplexing, frustrating, hard or painful as it may be to the core and life of a Christian, in the end, whether on earth or in heaven, ultimately, the glory of God will reveal itself in the completion of the promised salvation to those who stood firm till the end. And in conclusion, being united and unified in faith, the Apostle Paul reaffirms the teachings of the Apostle Peter while he exposes the hope that is behind the suffering when he writes in the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. If we could all turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, we'll read this passage together. In Romans 5, chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says, 
Therefore, we could read it together. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. In character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because God's love and faithfulness because of God's love and faithfulness. Because of God's love and faithfulness forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, may your splendor shine and your glory reign forever and ever, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Today's benediction is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. In God's word it says, Now, may the God of peace through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Have a great day.